All right, Council, as you know, um, our community, uh, just like the rest of the nation and really the, the other countries around the world, have been dealing with the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, I've invited uh, some very special guests who are with us tonight. Uh, we have Colonel Philip Sonia, Garrison Commander of Fort Bragg, who will come. He will update us on uh, what's going on from Fort Bragg's perspective and how uh, the base is working to keep soldiers and their families safe uh, during this, this recent pandemic. Uh, also, we are blessed to have the uh, Cumberland County Health Director, Dr. Jennifer Green, who did a wonderful job today in the press conference, uh, kind of informing our citizens about where we are as a community, as being our, our lead public health uh, official in Cumberland County. And we also have CEO and President of Cape Fear Valley Hospital, Mr. Mike Nagowski and Dr. Michael Zappa, uh, who give us uh, their perspective as our number one uh, health care provider in the region. And so uh, in that order, I guess we'll ask that uh, Colonel Philip Sonia, if you would come forth and kind of bring us up to date. And thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, distinguished members of the council, uh, we want to thank you guys for inviting us today. Uh, what I'd like to be able to do today is talk to you about the preparations that Fort Bragg has made in order to deal with the current virus. Uh, we've been preparing for this really since the very beginning of February just because we we already had a plan in action for a series of events this was one of the events we we looked at in november and decided this where we would concentrate some of our efforts and it just so happened that you know things had come to pass uh, so on the uh, 4th of february we began our current operations and i'll let you know where we're at now so we have rehearsed all of our plans internally to the post uh, with a whole series of different contingencies from individuals redeploying from overseas to other individuals or having uh, larger outbreaks on post and being able to help communicate where those individuals will go to and actually doing a physical walkthrough in each one of those. Right now, we have one brigade of our paratroopers have already begun to redeploy. Uh, we have them in a cantonment area that's established for quarantine, and we put that in our training area. So that's separate from our contaminant area and, and most of our living conditions. We really did that for just ease of use. And so easy to rapidly expand and easy for us to control and provide food and resources to. Internal to the post, we also have a series of quarantine posts that we've established. So we've roped off a few areas. So as other paratroopers come back, they can go right back into their old barracks and we'll continue to monitor them. Now that, that quarantine period does not mean that someone has symptoms. It means that they've come from overseas and we're taking additional precautions. The Secretary of Defense has identified that we should take those precautions and we're following suit with that. And so uh, the military across the board has had a stop movement of the personnel. So any non-essential movements we've kind of, we've stopped and now we're focusing our intentions internally. Those that were coming from overseas were quarantining for 14 days and we're doing that at all levels. And then we're continuing to screen those individuals throughout the day to see if there's any additional cases. Uh, we also have established an additional facility for isolation. So isolation is when someone begins to actually show the symptoms. And we have a facility that we can move those individuals to so they can deal with the virus as well. So all in all, we have a, a large quarantine area that we've established in-house. We've established our, our isolation points. We rehearse our programs across the board. And we continue to rehearse those on a daily basis. Now we have a discussion point probably two times a day to discuss with internal leadership and external on what our best practices are and our best way ahead. And so if you will, let me introduce you to Colonel uh, Deperic, who can talk to you about the medical uh, preparations as well. So, 
Good evening. Uh, so, so where we are right now is that uh, we are doing testing on Fort Bragg. WOMAC not only takes care of uh, those on Fort Bragg and for those that are uh, enrolled there, but also for other military bases in North Carolina as well. Uh, at this point in time, uh, you know, the hospital has been doing preparations. And, and in fact, I believe Dr. Green knows our director of public health, Dr. Bedno. So some of the exercises that have been going on, one just about a week and a half, two weeks ago, involved the public health departments of the counties all around Fort Bragg, because we fully realize that Fort Bragg does not exist on an island. It is part of the communities around. Uh, about 70% of the people that work on that post every day live in, these in, the, in the counties that are around. So, uh, you know, this is a concerted effort, not just on Fort Bragg, but with those health departments elsewhere as well. Um, we, we are going out, uh, we send people out, medical professionals that screen each flight that's coming in from outside the United States. As Colonel Sonia said, the DOD's gone to a stance of any flight that's coming in, the people go into quarantine for 14 days. If anybody seemed to be symptomatic or there was any issues as far as contacts, then they'd be followed more closely. If anybody then shows symptoms, then we're prepared to move them into more of an isolation facility or to follow them closely uh, if they're still at home in order to make sure that they're not out moving about the community and we're not spreading this that we're trying so hard to contain. And as you heard on the news and, and everybody will say, flatten the curve or reduce the impact on our medical system uh, here around us that supports us and on Fort Bragg and the rest of the state at the same time. So, I will say, Mayor, there's an interesting point also with Fort Bragg, as you know, the home of Airborne Special Operations Forces. We still have our current mission set. And so we are balancing our mission set and being prepared for that mission to be able to deploy in 18 hours or 96 hours with a much larger force with making sure we're mitigating the effects here of the virus. And we're continuing to balance those every single day. Right. Thanks. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for sharing with us. And, and you know, uh, we just like to convey to our citizens that uh, we are working with the military in every respect, uh, particularly when it comes down to a crisis situation like uh, this situation. So thank you all. And uh, we'll, we'll certainly be in touch with you. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Um, Dr. Green, uh, Cumberland County Health Director. Welcome. Good evening. How is everyone doing today? Doing well. Doing well. I want to provide some updates about what's going on with COVID-19 in our community and then statewide and then some precautions that we can all take to, um, as we've heard, flatten that curve. And you'll hear about those in the coming days and many steps have already been put in place. And I'd like to start out by saying this is a rapidly changing situation. So um, we know if we say something here today, it might change by tomorrow by the time we get home in our cars. So um, we urge citizens to seek information from credible sources. The We want to make sure we're controlling rumors about what is happening or is not happening, cases, positive cases. Um, and so we want to share information as we're able to, but also um, control rumors. So I want to give um, three sources where people can go for credible information. And one is the um, Cumberland County website. They have a COVID-19 webpage that people can go to and we provide updated information there. The second place is the state um, North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, their website, and then also the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, their website. They can go and, and get credible information there. Um, we currently do not have any cases of COVID-19 in Cumberland County. 
if that were to happen, we would immediately issue a press release. In addition, that information would be updated on the Cumberland County Health Department website and our the county's COVID-19 website. In addition, the state health department reports cases on their website as well. So there are several sources and several avenues for which the public would be notified. Um, we know we've heard many rumors about there being positive cases here. We currently do not have any positive cases. And again, we are reporting any presumptive positive cases and any confirmed positive cases. So what that means is if you are presumptive positive, you've been tested at the state laboratory and if you are a confirmed case, you have been treated or you have been confirmed at the CDC. But for all intents and purposes, once you are presumptive positive, we're treating you like a confirmed positive. We are that that positive triggers a public health response on our end and on the state's end. And we we are, we are considering you a positive case. Um, but there's a little bit differentiation in the language there. Um, currently, we know there's over 150,000 cases uh, worldwide, and there are 3,000, more than 3,000 cases in outside of China, or set more than 73,000 cases outside of China, and there are more than 1,600 cases in the United States. And um, as I looked um, right before I walked out of the door, and there are 33 cases in North Carolina. Um, this morning, I said there's not evidence yet of community spread. Um, we are we are anticipating that there may be community spread in North Carolina, but we're not sure what that looks like yet. We'll know in the coming days as we um, get information more about cases. I'll also say that the state health department, um, they have that information on their website as well about testing and the number of cases that are not just in Cumberland County, um, but might be in other places as well. Um, I want to provide some information about the mitigation efforts that are going on in the county and then also nationwide. And again, this information changes quite rapidly. So um, we heard from the governor on Saturday that they're closing K through 12 public schools. And we know that some daycares and um, the private schools have followed suit. And the prohibition of gatherings of more than 100. Um, yesterday, we heard from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that that recommendation is no more than 50 people in, uh, in a mass gathering. And then after the press conference, sometime between the press conference and in this meeting, um, we heard from President Trump that they're recommending um, no social gatherings over 10 people. So we haven't had any specific guidance um, from the state on that yet, but we'll get some information in coming days. Again, this is a rapidly evolving situation and um, we and people can only type so fast. So I'm sure that um, information will, will come out and we will certainly share that information with the public as we get it. Um, I want to also provide an update about testing. So we are not testing at the health department. We can help approve testing at the health department, but currently um, we are not providing testing. What we need people to do is if they are feeling symptomatic, they need to call their local healthcare provider. And we need you to do that for a couple of reasons. We need you to call so that your healthcare can, provider can do some screening over the phone. And then they can also um, ask you some important questions about where you've been, what your exposure. And then if you need to be tested, they can arrange that testing for you um, in collaboration with the health department and then um, wear appropriate PPE. If you walk into a healthcare provider setting or if you walk into the emergency room, there are many, many sick people there um, that they might be exposed or people that have a weakened immune system. So we want to be very careful about just walking into healthcare facilities. We need folks to call their providers ahead of time. 
there are um, particular testing criteria. So we don't need everybody to be tested. Um, we know we have a limited capacity for testing, not just in this state, but um, across the country and across the world. So we, there are criteria that need to be met for testing and we can only test those that meet those criteria. Um, and those criteria are one, if you have fever and um, fever and coughing and shortness of breath, and a negative flu test, that meets criteria for testing. If you have those same symptoms, fever, shortness of breath, coughing, and you've also have a contact with a known exposure or known uh, COVID-19 case, you're also eligible to, for testing. So people need to meet criteria. If somebody is asymptomatic or doesn't have any symptoms, um, we're gonna ask some additional questions before we're gonna do testing. And ideally, we want to be able to rule out flu before we, um, before we do testing for COVID-19. Um, and then, and I know Mike's gonna talk a little bit about what they're doing at the hospital in terms of testing. Um, and then I'll just, um, reiterate some of that piece about social distancing. So we heard from the president, President Trump today, and we've heard from the CDC about um, distancing ourselves from others. So sitting six feet apart, I think you guys are uh, mostly six feet apart. Um, so we need people to, to stay six feet apart for the, um, to the best of their ability. And um, in particular, that's important for um, all, of, all of our community members, but in particular for our high risk citizens. So those that are over the age of 65 and those that are, have a weakened immune system and those that have um, a chronic condition like heart disease or lung disease or diabetes, they are not at higher risk for getting COVID-19, but if they do get it, they have um, more chances of um, more severe symptoms than those that are young, healthy adults. Um, I'll also mention that one of the things that we do not need people to do, we do not need people to do, is go buy masks in bulk. Um, when people do that, and I know people are nervous and scared and they're trying to protect themselves, but that actually creates a strain on our healthcare system. So the conversations that we've been having with the hospital and Fort Bragg and our emergency management folks over the past several days have been about PPE, per personal protective equipment, and where we're getting that from. So when people are buying um, you know, the boxes and boxes of masks, um, we've seen the price of those increase sub uh, substantially, and we also have seen um, providers not being able to get it. So we need people that are, if you are a healthy adult, um, you don't need to wear a mask. If you are immune compromised or you have a, you fall into, you have the flu or you have some other respiratory illness, um, that would be an appropriate time to wear a mask and protect yourself. And then of course, we'd also encourage you to stay home. Um, but for those that are healthy adults, um, we don't need them to wear a mask unless indicated by your medical provider. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that the county has set up a information line on the COVID uh, Cumberland information line. And that number is 910-678-7657, 910-678-7657. And that information like, um, can provide general information about COVID-19, closures on the county website, what's going on at the court system. And so we encourage citizens to go to those websites for more information. Um, so, Dr. Green, I did have a couple of questions, but I had one yes. uh, before I go to my council members. Um, you said that you encourage people who are feeling sick to call their health care provider. Yes. 
What happens if they don't have a healthcare provider? What if you don't have a healthcare provider? So um, if you, we encourage you to, we have a federally qualified healthcare center here and we've been in um, communication with them, um, Stedman Wade. So we'd encourage them to see about becoming a patient at Stedman Wade. If you don't have any other options, um, call the health department and we will help um, navigate that system for you. So either call the health department or um, get in contact with our federally qualified health care center here, Sedmund Wade. All right. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Hare. Thanks, Mayor. And thank you. You an answered a couple of my questions. But um, a part of one uh, for me, after you go to your primary care provider mm -hmm. and have that discussion with him or her and they find out that, what's the word, that there's a possibility or whatever, however way they may say that, uh, what is their next step? Are they tested there or is it another location where they will be sent from their primary care to be tested? Great question. And um, the answer is it depends on who your primary care provider is. So the state, um, you, testing can happen in two ways. It can happen at the state laboratory or it can happen through a commercial lab, um, LabCorp or Quest. So it will depend on what your local provider is choosing to do, whether they're doing it through the state laboratory or doing it through Quest or LabCorp. So you might get sent to a different location, but it will depend on, on that primary care provider. And, and my last question is, just for my, maybe some others understanding, I hear a lot about the, the, the testing kits. Yes. Um, and listen to what you're saying now, is that something that we already have in our city? We do have testing kits in our community. So that's a, that's a great point because I think people are getting confused about um, testing kits and testing. So we the testing is, either, is, are, is happening at the state laboratory or, again, LabCorp or Quest. But local providers, um, some have those testing col test collection kits on site and then they can perform that they're not performing the test there but they're collecting the specimen so that they can be sent off to lab court or quest or the state lab thank you thank you very much thanks for speaking our citizens need and i'll and i'll say one piece in addition to your your question is you know what happens when you get tested either wherever you get tested providers are required to report back to the health department about um, if they've tested somebody. So that is a requirement. This is a reportable disease. If if something happens um, as suspect case or a confirmed case that's known in the community, they are required to report to that to the state health department and also required to report that to the local health department. So we will get notified. I, I, I want to end with this one because I'm a pet kind of guy. Is this something that can be contagious to your pets because I, I have several around my home yes so we don't think yet that there's evidence of animal to person transmission um, so if you have it in your home um, we don't think that your pet will become an infected but I will say this, um, what the CDC is encouraging is if you are sick or you are a positive case, just like we want to isolate um, our family member, or we want to isolate away from other people, we also want to isolate our pets. So if we have, and that's for anything, if you have the flu, um, we want you to, you know, maybe not give your hug, your pets hugs and kisses that day. So Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. All right. Yep. Uh, Council Member Ingram. Thank you, Mayor. You actually answered one of my questions about the health care provider. Um, I know a lot of people who don't who don't have health care providers, and so they just go to the ER to get their needs met. Um, so my next question will be, what is the turnaround time for testing? 
Great. So that depends. <laughs> That's my answer tonight. Um, so what we're hearing from the state lab is it's between 24 to 72 hours for testing. However, that depends on the volume that they're getting. Um, if the more volume they have, it's going to take a longer turnaround time, but 24 to 72 hours to get a test back once it's submitted and sent. Okay, my next question is, once they're tested, I, from my understanding, they go directly into self-quarantine. Yes. Whether it's positive, they go directly to self-quarantine. Yes. What guidance are they given within self-quarantine? For instance, um, I had a phone call for someone who said that they were going, but they had a child that they needed to. So what type of guidance is given to those who are going to self-quarantine? specifically with children? Yes, so there is a form that we have from the state, um, from the state health department, and anytime we are putting somebody in isolation or quarantine, again, if they're suspected, we're gonna immediately put them in isolation or quarantine. We have a form we fill out and we, um, that we go through how to isolate, how to quarantine, how to monitor yourself, what that means, where you can go, where you can't go, including if they have um, childcare needs. So we also conduct what's called a needs assessment, and we ask things like, do you have childcare needs? Are you able to get food to your home? Do you have a social network that can support you? Um, in addition, if you don't get, um, if you have, go to your local provider, they also fill out a form called a persons under investigation form. They ask similar questions. We wanna make sure that um, they are given guidance about isolation and quarantines, including if they have children, so they can do that appropriately. Okay, and my last point is, you mentioned it when you were um, speaking earlier about we, we not having a confirmed case, yes. but I do wanna say out of 210,000 uh, residents in the city of Fayetteville, we need to be very cautious and not assume that we 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 don't have a case so we we need to pretty much act as if we do have a case and be very cautious of that and i know we are not on the list however out of 210,000 residents it is ideally a bit um for me, I will say a little silly for us to assume that we don't have a case. Well, by confirmed, I mean we do not have any cases that have been confirmed at the state lab, and we don't have any confirmed cases at the CDC. So there might be, if there's somebody that hasn't interacted with the healthcare system, understood, but we don't have any cases that have been confirmed by the state lab and no cases that have been confirmed at the CDC. I understand that point. I was just making that known to the citizens that are watching to not act as if we, we we, have, we don't have any confirmed, however, out of 210,000 residents, that's, that's, that's a little, so th I'm done. Right, so we want people to encourage, yes, that's a great Yes, don't take for granted. Right, we want not, people to practice social distancing, stay home if you can, um, you know, those are things that we want people, keep washing your hands. We don't have a case yet, um, but you know, it, it's, it's in North Carolina, for sure. Right. Um, uh, Councilmember Waddell. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. My question is, how are we addressing this in the in the community of individuals who are not housed? So how's our homeless community being affected by COVID-19, and how are we preparing to respond to the needs of those individuals? 
So the guidance um, for those that are homeless has, is limited, frankly. Um, we have shared that guidance with our local shelters here, the guidance that we do have. As a matter of fact, those were a few emails that I sent before um, I left the office today. So, and we've, been, and we've been in communication over the past couple of weeks. So we have shared that guidance with the Centers for, um, from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention with the shelters that we have in our community and those um, for that are unhoused. And we also wanna make sure that if there is a concern about testing, um, that guidance has some information about how to clean the facility, um, how to do meal time, um, and we've shared that information. And so in terms of, for example, an organization that may feed or shelter, yes. because of the, of the fact that these people are not, they don't have a home, I guess maybe it'd be important for us to also be aware of those guidelines because we have a very philanthropic citizenry in the city of Fayetteville, and I want to make sure that our citizens are very well aware of, of the implications that COVID could potentially have in terms of how we go about our, our service to our fellow mankind, even in, in this situation. So that would be good information for us to have also, Mr. Mayor. We can share that guidance about the homeless shelters, I can, and if you'd like to share Absolutely. That. We'd yep. love to, to share that. We, we interact with a number of... Uh, agencies who are in that space. And we would, and so again, I talked talked about that needs assessment. So if we had a case of somebody that were, that was um, in a homeless shelter, again, we want to be able to isolate and quarantine them. And so we would, we would do that needs assessment. And then one of the roles of the health department is to coordinate those services if somebody tests positive. So where would we, where do we send them? How do we get them food? So that's also a role of the health department that we would work with that person. All right. Uh, Councilmember Banks McLaughlin. Oh, okay. Well, Dr. Green, we certainly appreciate uh, the insight and we'll continue to uh, stay in communication so that we can keep our citizens up to date on everything. So uh, thank you so Absolutely. much for taking Thank time you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. right, Mr. Nagaski and Dr. Zeppel. Good evening to you all. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about what we're all doing as a community to fight this. It's a very serious issue and I couldn't agree more that even though we do not have as of right now a confirmed case, it's probably inevitable, right? All across the world these cases are happening. They're in North Carolina. We are acting as if we have a case. I'll tell you a little bit about what the health system has been doing. Since uh, China first announced their cases at the end of last year, we began to meet in late January to begin to assimilate the information that was being distributed by the CDC, by the World Health Organization. We now meet on a daily basis. As Dr. Green mentioned, and, and before I go any further with that, I want to commend Dr. Green. Her leadership from a community perspective has simply been outstanding. She's been incredible. She's spot on. Um, <clears throat> We've been working to understand what the latest guidance is. It changes almost on a daily basis and to implement the CDC guidelines across the health system, uh, not, not only for patients, but for our own employees. We have about 7,800 employees who, quite honestly, we need to keep healthy and able to work on the front lines. We have internally instituted uh, travel restrictions, uh, proper uh, PPE uh, guidelines. Uh, we, on a daily basis now, distribute information to our workforce regarding uh, the latest activity. 
<clears throat> every week now, Dr. Zappa and our uh, Director uh, uh, of Infection Prevention and Control, Carolyn Nigren, uh, produce a video. Those videos are available for the public's viewing on our website, capefearvalley.com. Um, we plan on producing those videos on a weekly basis. The very first one is about a 27-minute video. It goes into great detail about COVID-19, what you can do to protect yourself. And then I think the last one is more up-to-date in, in terms of uh, the latest occurrences. It's about a 10-minute video. They're well worth your time. You'll learn a lot, not just about COVID-19, but about infection control in, in specifics. Um, none of the hospitals in North Carolina at this point are actually performing the tests. We're all performing specimen collection. As Dr. Green mentioned, we forward that up either to the state lab or to one of the commercially available laboratories. And I'm going to let uh, Dr. Zappa, who serves as our medical director for emergency services, talk a little bit more about the extensive precautions we've set in place for when people present either at our urgent cares or at the state's busiest emergency department at Village and Owen. Dr. Zappa. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you, Mayor and Council Members. What we're experiencing is truly unprecedented, the number of people that can be affected. But I want to balance that with understanding that the vast majority of all our citizens will be just fine. We're taking these precautions for two reasons. One, because we want to slow the spread of this disease and enable us to all go back to life as normal. But more importantly, we want to protect the most vulnerable members of our community. We want to protect the senior citizens, those with chronic diseases, and those who have a suppressed immunity. To accomplish that, we have to triage our resources and the way we treat people. First step, as Dr. Green mentioned, is if you're worried, make a phone call. If you don't have a primary care provider, and if you can't get through to the health department, you can reach out to the hospital and call 615-LINK. What we have there is our nurses there will take you through a series of questions. If you have the symptoms and potential exposure or travel history, they grade the symptoms into whether you're mild, moderate, or severe. The mild cases, you are going to be advised to stay home. Those are people that are experiencing symptoms like a common flu or the seasonal colds that we all get. The advice is going to be stay home. In cases that are deemed moderate by your description of symptoms, you have severe body aches, headaches, a nagging cough keeping you up all night, those are going to advise to go to an urgent care. And if it's one of our express cares, we take the information and we deliver it directly to the express care so we expect you. We instruct you as a patient to call a specific number and wait in your vehicle. And we're going to come out and meet you in the vehicle, give you the appropriate mask to wear, and escort you directly to an area of isolation from the rest of the patients so you not only keep our staff safe, but any other patients potentially waiting. The exact same process is in place if you call and are deemed to have severe symptoms. Severe symptoms, that means fever, bad cough, and you're actually having trouble breathing. You're going to be advised to come to the emergency department. Same procedure. You will call from your car, and our team will go out and meet you and take you directly into an isolation room.
That's if you call. What about for everyone that just comes to our busy emergency department? Well, you're going to see things a little bit different. Before you actually come through the second set of doors, right in our vestibule, you're going to meet one of our healthcare professionals and they're going to ask you questions. They're going to ask you, do you have a fever? Have you been coughing? Do you feel short of breath? If you say yes to any of those three, they're then going to ask you, have you traveled? Yes, where? If you travel to one of the high-risk countries or one of the states that has community spread, we will immediately hand you a mask and take you to a separate waiting area or immediately to a room depending on availability. What that does is that keeps our staff safe so we can continue our mission and it keeps the rest of the patients who are coming to the emergency department safe. Similar to our colleagues at Fort Bragg, remember with this crisis, we still have our everyday mission. We are the busiest emergency department in the state. We took care of 144,000 people last year. When the numbers come out from the rest of the country, we will be in the top 10 busiest EDs in the nation. So we have to not only deal with the effects of this COVID-19, but we need to continue to serve our community every day. When we talk about the testing, not everyone is going to get tested. The lot of people who were going to say, go home and rest may not get tested because they're doing so well. We're trying to preserve our resources at this time. Again, as a state and as a nation, as testing resources become more readily available, we may change that guidance. I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, Councilmember Dawkins. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, thank you, Mr. Nagowski, Dr. Zappa. Uh, I have a family member that works at uh, Duke Emergency, and I have a family member at Cape Fear Valley. Are, are you going to put masks on these people that, that greet the people coming in the door? Because they're going to be less than six feet. They're not going to have the social distance. I'm concerned about that because it could impact family members and other great Fayetteville residents that so, work at our hospital? So that's a great question. So the way we have set it up is there is actually a six-foot table with a stop sign at one end and our provider at the other. But we do give our provider the option of sitting with the mask all day or, as many of them are doing, when you say yes at the other end of the six feet, you put the mask on, then you come over and hand the, the patient the mask. You. And just one other comment that brought up is we are restricting visitors. Now, some people might look at that as a hardship, but that once again is protecting our most vulnerable patients. For example, at Highsmith Rainey, where I have the privilege of serving as president, we have stopped all visitors into the long-term acute care facility. All of my patients there are potentially at risk, and we need to protect them. In the emergency department on Owen Drive, it is one family member only. You cannot come in with your whole family into the emergency department. The exception is pediatrics. We do let uh, two people with our pediatric patients. In the hospital overall, we're limiting to one visitor with the patients upstairs. And I will stand here and say that these rules are subject to change. And by I mean change, they will likely get more strict 
before we're able to relax them. Thank you. Did have a couple more questions. Uh, Council Member Kinston. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I just had one quick question as far as uh, daycares. Um, how do you monitor infants or toddlers at this point? So right now we would go the same mechanism of potential symptoms. So they would contact their pediatrician, go through the same kind of risk assessment and symptom assessment. And if they're appropriate to be isolated, then they would not be allowed to go to daycare. Uh, if they had symptoms sufficient to require evaluation, either by the express care or severe symptoms to the emergency department, same basic process would be followed. Just on the, the whole daycare issue, uh, we commend uh, the governor and the school board for suspending uh, school and not having the children attend. Clearly, if you're an employer, it's a concern, and, and uh, we employ 2,000 nurses across the health system, and, and many of our nurses have families. So in order to make sure that we have sufficient personnel, especially frontline personnel, uh, we've expanded tremendously and we'll put in place starting tomorrow uh, a greatly expanded daycare system for the health system so that our nurses, our doctors, our pharmacists can stay on the job and make sure that their children are being taken care of. That's good. That's good. Yep. Uh, Councilmember Banks, McLaughlin. Okay. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> I just wanted to just say thank you to all of you guys that came out to provide the city with all the resources that's definitely needed. So I just wanted just to commend you guys because this is something that's new that hit our city as well as our nation. And as you all know, you guys work on an everyday basis, and I can only imagine what you guys see outside of the coronavirus. So I just wanted to thank you as well as Dr. Green. She's only been, um, you just got with the city, what, less than five months ago? Well, well, I'm sorry, with the county. So, yes, yeah, so thank you for your hard work as well as the military. Yeah. Well, Dr. Green, we know how to break you in right, huh? Right. Get your <laughs> pandemic as soon as you get here. Um, but thank you, um, Mr. Nagowski. You always, Johnny, on the spot for, uh, for being a good partner in the community. I did have a question. Um, you guys said under normal circumstances you see about 150,000 patients in your emergency room? Correct. And so potentially, and this is why this is important as we look out and plead with our citizens, we have one of the busiest uh, front lines in the country, and so we really need to make sure that we contain and curve. And so we're asking our citizens to please today, uh, the commissioner of the county commission, the chairman, uh, Faircloth, and myself, uh, signed some uh, emergency orders for Cumberland County in the city of Fayetteville. Was joined by Dr. Green, uh, Mr. Nagowski, and, and others uh, to talk about the urgency to plead with you to please practice those things that these healthcare professionals are advising us to do. Let's not meet in large groups. Uh, the guidance has been given uh, from a state level from our governor for 100. Uh, CDC has asked for 50, but if you can avoid large groups, please do so for the foreseeable future. Also, as a city, we talked about earlier tonight that we're changing uh, some of our processes to make sure that we're keeping our citizens safe, that we're going to encourage and ask that you not attend uh, our council meetings in person. The state gives us guidance that we have to keep going about the people's business. We have to keep the city moving, but we want to keep you uh, out of harm's way, and we want to keep ourselves out of harm's way, and so we'll cut down on our interactions just because we're not set up for a six-foot radius of social distancing. So we want to comply. We want to set a good example. 
But I think that it is incumbent upon everyone that's watching this, the reason why I invited them tonight is that you would see the urgency of how we can contain it. So far, we've been blessed in Cumberland County. Yes, sir. Okay, but, but it tells us we still have to do our job and be vigilant and to follow the direction of these, these fine professionals. So thank you all. We'll continue to be in touch. Uh, citizens who are watching this by uh, social media or by media, we will continue to put everything that you've heard tonight on our website so that you'll have a point of information. We'll put links that go to their website that have more detail. And we have a, a, a number that has been set up, city and county, again, working jointly to, uh, to address this crisis. And this is a number that you can call for information that we'll triage and send a call uh, either to uh, Cape for Valley, and I'll get you, Mr. Nagowski, to share your number. I think it's 910-615-LINK, uh, L-I-N-K. So if you have a medical-related question, please call the 910-615-LINK. If you have just a general question about services or resources, please call 910-678-7657, which will get you and point you in the right direction. Or also come on to uh, the City of Fayetteville's website, cityoffayetteville.gov, or fayettevillenc.gov, and our, like our social media page, and we will continue to push information. But thank you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Let's give all of our healthcare professionals a round. And, and of course, we have uh, Mr. Bullet here, uh, emergency management services. So every time we have a crisis in this community, he is working 24 hours a day. So, sir, I guess you're back to work. Well, I didn't know I was that good. <laughs> good evening, Council uh, Mayor and Mayor Pro Tem, and. The whole audience listening um, that was a tough act to follow I'm thankful for our partners stepping up um, with their commentary what I want to bring you tonight is just some remarks about really a planning process that's been in place um, day in day out um, among my shop and among other city departments that we've kind of placed into context if you will um, for instance back in the fall we update our continuity of operations plans which also have a continuity of government thread which is germane to what we've talked about here this evening and these plans live in a state where they're called upon when something as simple as a water main break might force you to to leave a city building all the way up to the scale of where we are tonight it's just a matter of adding the context and what the context surrounds are those mission essential functions that our various city departments carry out fire and police that's easy you can easily tell what we do transit as far as transporting folks solid waste picking up trash these are all sorts of things that we have to have kind of a, a backup plan on if the normal patterns and structures don't work what will we transition to so the last three or four days, we've been testing a number of scenarios, thought processes. For instance, looking at how we can use cross-trained folks to carry out missions. Can a solid waste garbage truck operator be replaced with someone from the heavy equipment ranks and streets? As an example, there can be cross-training there where if somebody's sick and out, that function doesn't stop. Because some folks just can't telework. Can't tell our bus driver to go home and log back in and, and do their job from home, and we realize that. Also, what this context does is look at a bigger picture. We know commerce in the community is affected. The city's a big player in that, but look at private enterprise as well. Look at supply chains right now. Um, mass came up tonight. Um, pub, um, personal protective gear all over, from shoe covers to head covers, gowns, and so forth. Um, 
is about like the toilet paper and other things disappearing in our grocery stores. Um, and, and I appreciate the comments tonight. If you're healthy, you don't need a mask. So we've taken measures even among fire and police where we don't have to actually answer some of the calls that our medical uh, specialist tonight talked about because they're triaged. That way we limit the amount of people that might be exposed. Um, not to say we're not going to answer a call. If it's a true emergency, someone's not breathing, of course. You'll get the same excellent service that you depend on day in, day out. Um, there's just a grand portfolio of things that we've been working on that have led up to the state of emergency that you saw filed and signed by the, the mayor this morning at 11. But what led up to that are some things that we're doing in terms of something as simple as a foot pedal on a door so that you don't have to touch an exit door on a bathroom. That's a modification we made to City Hall. We have enhanced cleaning with electrostatic foggers that were new to some of us that actually clean surfaces better than you could just take a wipe. And we've used that in our rec centers and transit and the fire departments used them, the police departments used them, especially in high traffic areas where we need to assure things are as clean as we can possibly make them. Um, we're also working on a portal in the ground floor of City Hall, what some of you might know as the Cape Fear Room, right across from Council Chamber here, which will kind of become, if you, if you would compare it to the kiosk that they're trying to use in the fast food industry now, where you don't have to talk to the clerk to take your money, although we can't replace the people. We still have to have people, but it limits the number of patrons in contact at any one time, but it still offers you the array of services and you don't have to roam all over City Hall for those services. So that's another glaring example of how we're trying to make business safer, keep the doors open, but at the same time use best practices and do what's expected um, to protect the health not only of the public at large, but also our own um, city workers. Um, some of the other things that we're working on, we're always um, tightly oriented with Fort Bragg and with the county in terms of public information. You've covered the websites tonight. I'm not going to get into all of that, but as the day goes forward, our pages mirror and link to each other. So there's probably more information available now than one could ever digest, and that's a good thing because people want to stay informed, and we need them to stay informed. Um, we want to do what we can also with this public information to fight our number one enemy now, which is not the virus. It's the hysteria surrounding the virus. Because largely the healthy people are going to do okay in this. And we've identified, thanks to what the health director said and others, the high-risk group. We know who they are. It's a matter of just taking care of them. Um, I could go on and on about some of the things that we've got in place. We meet daily um, as the days draw near to where we might have to change some other posture, but uh, there, there are so many different things that some of the different departments are putting in place. I would really be subject to your questions if you have a question about a particular department than to keep us here late tonight. All right. Well, we appreciate that. Council, do we have any, any questions related to uh, our internal organization and what uh, Mr. Bullock gave us? You let him off that easy? Uh, I think everyone is confident that you uh, you all know what to do, and uh, we, we have full confidence in you and the staff, uh, city manager and the team. Uh, we're in good hands internally. just wanted to say that uh, for those who may not have tuned in to the press conference today, um, that the city has uh, banned all non-essential travel of employees. 
uh, that we're taking the, the precaution in addition to those things that you mentioned uh, to keep our employees safe and to keep the public safe in general because they live here and interact with the citizens. So uh, if there's nothing else for you to add, sir, we'll, we'll let you get back to it. But we, Oh, I did it. Did have a question that popped up? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Well, I don't have a question for you, but I just wanted to inform. Can I inform the citizens that we are having um, a curbside meal pickup? So they can probably contact the school to see what time, because I think it's from, what, 11 to 1? 11 to 1? Um, uh, all right. So it, those that are watching, I don't know, well, yeah, we're still live. So those that are watching Cumberland County Schools, um, and I would just say go to Cumberland County Schools' websites. They have listed locations of schools varying from high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools. Um, that will have curbside pickup to where um, any child under the age of 18, they do not have to be a Cumberland County School System student. Um, they can be age two or go to get daycare. So go to their website, um, and that's the link we, we could probably put on our site as well, um, to um, get, the, get the students the meals that they need. You do not have to have your child, if I remember correctly, you do not have to have your child present with you when you pick up the meal. Um, but that is, that came out today. Um, I forgot what the hours are, but go to the website and you'll see it there. Um, Cumberland County Schools website. So, of course, uh, just to finalize that, uh, as school is out, uh, it's a governor uh, executive order for schools. Uh, for the next two weeks. So there are food insecurities in kids who only eat when they're uh, in school. So we want to make sure that we've got that covered. So please reference the Cumberland County School website, or you can call that number that I gave, 910-678-7657. We'll make sure that you're pointed in the right direction. But thank you, council members and Mr. Bullitt. Thank you, sir. All right.